0: Paul just looked like an ordinary guy. He was a mobile phone salesman working in car phone Warehouse, in debt, struggling with social situations as a result of being bullied as a kid. Nobody expected him to do anything extraordinary. And then in 2007, he auditioned for Britain's Got Talent. As a result of that audition... And winning that first season, Paul went on to become an internationally acclaimed singer. He actually recorded numerous albums, topped the charts in 13 different countries and sung in 44 different countries he toured around the world. Often in life, people surprise us. They look like they're something and yet they turn out to be something completely different. They do things that we don't expect. They challenge our preconceived ideas. And they exceed our expectations. But nobody did this more than Jesus. Jesus didn't fit into what people expected. As a carpenter from the despised Nazareth, nobody expected him to do anything great. And yet throughout his public ministry, he exceeded expectations and challenged preconceived ideas. And this was so powerful that people wanted to make him king. After feeding a crowd of 5,000 men, as well as kids and women, the crowd intended to come and make him king by force, it says in John chapter 6. But Jesus, he rejected their attempts. Because he hadn't come to be the king that they expected. He hadn't come to be the king that they wanted. He'd come to be a different kind of king. And this is what he revealed as he entered into Jerusalem on the Sunday before Passover. So we're going to read John chapter 12. And we're going to read it from uh, verse 12 down to verse 19. So John 12, verse 12. The next day, The great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they'd done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after. him." At that time of year, Jerusalem would have been packed with pilgrims for the Passover feast. Educated guesses about the size of the crowds range from something like uh, 150,000 to even a couple of million people packed into Jerusalem for that Passover. But this crowd was focused on one man. In John 11, just the previous chapter, verse 56, it says, They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the feast at all? Everybody was wondering about Jesus. And so when the crowd heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Now these palm branches, they were a a regular part, a usual part of the Passover. During this season, Psalm 113 to 118, which was called the Hillel, Hillel, sorry, that was regularly sung. And in Psalm 118, verse 27, it says, with bows in hand, join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And so that was a usual part of the Passover. They would sing these psalms, act them out with these bows, those palm branches, and celebrate what God has done. But since the era of the Maccabees, in the second century before Jesus, palm branches had also become a nationalistic symbol of Judea. They were used to celebrate military victories. And to express their political dreams that the Messiah would come and bring peace and power and prosperity to their nation. So this crowd went out to Jesus, carrying these palm branches, expressing their belief and their expectation that Jesus was the promised king. The one who would restore the fortunes of their nation. And this was confirmed by what they shouted. Verse 13, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that word Hosanna also comes from Psalm 118. It's basically just a Hebrew word. And it's translated in that Psalm, in in NIV, as O Lord, save us. It was a cry to God for help. But the meaning of that phrase had kind of changed over the years. In the psalm, Psalm 118, it's immediately followed by the exclamation, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As if that cry for help was answered even before it came out of the, the psalmist's mouth. Help, and then, it, then help comes. So that phrase, Hosanna, stopped being as much a cry for help, O Lord, save us. But instead became more of a shout of hope and praise that the salvation had already come. And so that day, that crowd shouted Hosanna. Because they believed that the salvation as our nation had come Jesus, their king, was coming and he would sort out the nation. He would bring peace, power and prosperity. All of our national and political hopes and dreams would become a reality. Because of the coming promised king. As he said, blessed is the king of Israel. So the question is, did they get it right? Did they understand what was happening that day? And did they respond in a proper way? Well, to some extent, yeah. To some extent, they understood what was happening and got it right. Jesus was coming as the King of... Of Israel. He was coming to bring salvation. He was coming as the fulfillment of all of those promises that God had given them in the, his word. He was the, the one that Moses spoke about when he said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers and he was the one that isaiah spoke about when he said for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father the prince of peace jesus was their promised king he was the one coming In the name of the Lord. He was the one coming to bring salvation to the nation. And of course, he wants to come into our lives too. He wants to come as our king. He wants to rule and to reign in our lives. But the key thing is, Jesus was not coming as the kind of king that they were expecting. Yes, he was a promised king, but he was a different kind of king. Don't know if you remember back when President Obama visited Ireland. Remember that? I can't remember how many years ago that was. Do you remember this happening? Have a look. Do you remember that? A bit embarrassing. That was the president's $300,000 armor-plated limousine fitted with night vision, camera, reinforced steel plating, oxygen tanks, all sorts of other things. But it couldn't cope with a hump in the road when it was coming out of the U.S. Embassy. Kind of embarrassing. But Jesus didn't travel in style like this, did he? He didn't travel in a limousine. He didn't travel in something that would kind of give that impression of of power and status. Instead, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. That's not a display of power and strength. That's not a war horse. That's not a battle chariot. That's not the transport of a coming military or political leader. Instead, Jesus was coming as a different kind of king. He was fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. Zechariah 9 and 9 says this. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt the fall of a donkey. Jesus came on a lowly beast of burden. A symbol of gentleness and humility. Because he's a gentle king. He didn't come to overpower his enemies with military strength. He didn't come to establish a nationalistic government. He didn't come with violence and force. Do you remember how he spoke to Pilate later on? when he was on trial and he said my kingdom is not of this world if it were my servants would fight to prevent my arrest instead Jesus came with compassion with understanding with gentleness and with love this is what we've seen throughout this gospel How he carefully and sensitively spoke to the outcast woman at the well, offering her living water. How he mourned with his friends at their brother's grave when Jesus wept. How he defended Mary when she was criticised, when she took that pint of, of pure nard and poured it on Jesus' feet. And then later on we'll see in the rest of the Gospel how he spoke lovingly to his mother at the cross, placing her into the care of his beloved disciple. Dear woman, here is your son. We'll see how he spoke tenderly to Mary Magdalene in the garden tomb when she thought he'd stolen the, the body of her Lord and he, she, he just said, Mary. How he gently challenged Thomas in his doubts when he refused to believe the reports that he had risen from the dead. And yet he called Thomas to put his finger here and see my hands. And then how he graciously restored Peter after his catastrophic failure on the night that Jesus was arrested. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? We need to make sure we get this right. Jesus is not a weak king. One day he will bring judgment. He will defeat evil. He will confront sin. But he is a gentle king. As I said of him, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A smouldering wick he will not snuff out. He comes gently to struggling people. To help them, to build them up. To encourage them and to be with them. And I think that's why John remembered that it was written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. colt. Do not be afraid, O oh daughter of Zion. There were so many reasons in that nation why these people could have been afraid. They were living in difficult times with threats and danger all around. And even a coming king could have been cause for fear. don't know if you remember right back away in the Old Testament, When Rehoboam took over from his father Solomon as king. This is what Rehoboam said to his subjects. He said, my father made your yoke heavy. He placed a huge burden on him. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. Probably not the most encouraging thing to say as a new king. I don't think many of our politicians would, would say that as their manifesto for trying to get elected. And as a result of that, the ten northern tribes of Israel actually broke off from Rehoboam's rule and reign. They just couldn't accept his harsh and his burdensome rule. So Rehoboam, there was a reason to fear. But with Jesus coming, there's not a reason to be afraid. Because Jesus isn't coming to make heavy demands on them. He wasn't coming to put unnecessary or impossible burdens on their backs. Actually, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees put those burdens on their people. And they didn't even lift a finger to help them. That's what Jesus said about them. But not Jesus. As the coming king, he was coming with gentleness and love to build up. This is what his offer was. In Matthew 11, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus' as coming King did not come to overpower and to force people to submit. Instead, He came to draw people to Him. To lift up the burdened, to restore the broken. He came as the life-giving Saviour. Actually, that's why so many people were there that day. Because they'd heard that that was who Jesus was. People had heard about him raising Lazarus from the dead. So many people, because they'd heard about him, he'd given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. They went out to meet the one who could defeat death. Who could conquer the grave. Who could give life. And this is what Jesus offered to everyone who would accept him as king. Another one of my favorite verses, John 10 10. Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus, as the coming king, doesn't come to bring death and destruction, he comes to bring life. Of course, that life is not what people expected. It wasn't a life of material prosperity or political power. It wasn't a life of comfort and ease and self-interest. said, it's a life focused on loving God and loving other people. Even when it costs everything. But that's not something to fear. That's something to welcome because it's the road to abundant life. Jesus said, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What does abundant life look like? It looks like giving it all to Jesus and living for him completely. So even when life is difficult, even when it doesn't turn out as we expected, even when it doesn't seem to be working out properly, even when we cannot see what God is doing, we still don't need to be afraid. Instead, we can rest in the knowledge of Jesus as our King. That He is in control. That He is accomplishing his good, pleasing and perfect will. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is the peace giving So the crowds went out to meet Jesus, to welcome him as king. But he came as a different kind of king. Not one to defeat his enemies by force, but to draw people to him in gentleness. And to offer peace and life. But not everybody wanted him as their king. That day the Pharisees said this. Verse 19, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. These guys were deeply religious. They were students of the Old Testament. So when they saw how Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, I I can only imagine that they understood the symbolism of that day. They realised the impact of what was being said about him. They knew that Jesus, in coming to Jerusalem in that way, was claiming to be king. They understood it, but they didn't want it. They were not willing to accept Jesus as king. They didn't want the kind of king that he was. They didn't want a king to come in gentleness and peace. They didn't want a king to challenge their belief systems and disrupt the way that they lived. They didn't want a king who would challenge their position or their privilege. And so they worried about how popular he was. And they were offended at what his followers were actually saying. In Luke chapter 19, it actually says that if the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Tell them to shut up. They were offended by this declaration of praise. But then that's why also later, when they were stood before Pilate, and Pilate brought Jesus out before them, The religious leaders all shouted for Jesus to be crucified. And when Pilate asked, why should he crucify their king? They declared, we have no king but Caesar. They rejected Jesus as their king. They did not want Jesus to reign over them. They did not want him to be their Lord. And sadly, many of the crowd that day that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem would later on follow these religious leaders in rejecting Jesus and calling for him to be crucified. They also turned against him and they said in the words of Jesus' parable, we do not want this man to be our king. And sadly, there's lots of people like that today, aren't there? They don't want the kind of king that Jesus is. They don't want to submit to Him. They don't want to repent of their sin. They don't want to accept His lordship over every aspect of their lives. They want to do their own thing, live their own life, follow their own ideas. And they think that by doing that, they will experience freedom and live life to the full. Instead, what they get is death. Jesus said, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains. And that's a consequence of what we've seen in John's Gospel. Again and again, Jesus has revealed to him, himself to us as the one who gives life. I am the life, the resurrection and the life. And so the only way to experience life is to accept him as Saviour and Lord. In rejecting Jesus, these men were rejecting If we're here this morning, and we're tempted to do the same, to push Jesus out of our lives, to try and confine Him to just being a little bit of a a Sunday morning hobby. You can't be the king of my life, Lord. I want to be in charge. I want to do what everybody else is doing. I want to just follow the crowd, rather than follow you. If that's the case, the consequences are serious. I don't know what you thought when you heard what the Pharisees said. When they said, look how the whole world has gone after him. I think they were doing what we've seen the religious leaders do before in John's Gospel. Saying more than they actually realised. I think the Pharisees here were pointing forward to the full impact of the coming of Jesus. Look, the whole world has gone after him. The crowds, they thought they were welcoming the king of Israel. But Jesus, he's a different kind of king. Because he's not the king of just one nation. He's the king of the world. And this is what Zechariah actually went on to prophesy in his, in his prophecy. He said this, his rule, in the very next verse that was, is quoted in this, in this passage, verse 10, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is not just a localized king. He's not just the king of Israel. He's not just the ruler of some people's lives. He is the king of this world, this nation, this, this universe. And, a, and a, amazingly, Jesus will accomplish all of this through the rejection of his people. We'll see this so clearly in the next section of John's Gospel. In the next part of, of chapter 12, where Jesus will say this. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This is the ultimate reason why Jesus is a different kind of king. He will not accomplish his victory. He will not establish his rule and his reign through a show of force and military strength. Instead, He will accomplish his victory. He will establish his kingdom through the suffering and the weakness of the cross. Of course, the disciples didn't understand any of this. It was only after Jesus was glorified, John says, that they realized that these things had been written about him and that they'd done these things to him. It's only after Jesus' glory was revealed on the cross that they begin to understand the true significance of that day. It's only then that they saw the reality of who Jesus is as King. And I think it's the same for us. As we see Jesus enter Jerusalem we can begin to see him as a different kind of king. Yes, he is the promised king, the one spoken about right throughout the Old Testament. But he is the gentle king who reaches out in love. He is the peace-giving king who drives out fear. And although he is the rejected king by this world, He is the universal king. The one who will be worshipped by people from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue. But we can't fully understand the kind of king he is until we see him as the crucified king. Taking upon himself our sin. Suffering in our place paying the price that we deserved. That is the kind of king that Jesus really is. So the question today is very simple. Will we accept him as our?